Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast Series, and my name is Carl Vradenberg. This is episode number four of the series, the series that teaches you new habits to optimize your life and to stay sane in this crazy world. This particular episode has the title of The Power of the Mind, Beware of What It Can Do Without You Controlling It. Rather important topic given that if we'd like to have a positive impact on our lives and on others, we really need to be aware of the power of the mind and very importantly, be aware of the ways in which if we don't have control over the ways in which our mind can actually play tricks on us. So let me start off as we always do with a quote from a wise person. Here's a quote that's relevant from Marcus Aurelius. You have the power over your mind not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength. Power of the mind. Let's talk a little about some examples that illustrate the power of the mind. Let me just give you a few to convince you that our minds actually have amazing power over ourselves. And uh, the first example that I'll give you is the placebo. Placebo, as you may know, is essentially regularly called a sugar pill that is required in any drug trial that the organizations that need to test the effectiveness of drugs need to use a control group that gets essentially a non-treatment or a sugar pill. What's really quite surprising is that the placebo effect, which like I say, the thing that somebody gets when they're in the placebo group is typically nothing or essentially they believe that they're getting something but the thing that they're getting actually has no specific effect like for example a sugar pill but what's interesting is looking at the results of the power of the therapeutic effect for many people that are in the control group that gets the placebo What's required for a drug to be deemed to be effective is for it to be significantly better than the placebo group. But what's also interesting, though, is that that's often tough because the placebo itself has a strong effect. And there's a whole literature on trying to understand how placebo effects work. Actually, not as much research as there should be, in my view, because of the power of this effect. What's interesting is that the effect is there at all and that you could get a 20-30% effective treatment for everything from pain reduction to better sleep to any number of ailments that need to be addressed with some sorts of treatment. The placebo tends to have a rather powerful effect. Now, how does that work? It's essentially the power of the mind. Somebody that believes that they're going to be better or be able to be improved in some way, typically they are. Now, this doesn't apply to everything, of course, and there's a lot of quackery out there. But what's interesting, even in the quackery, is that if somebody is convinced that something is going to work, it often really does, in fact, work just simply because they believe that it's going to work. Now, what's, what's dangerous here, obviously, is situations where somebody isn't going to go and seek out 
proper treatment for something that quite dangerous that they don't get the proper treatment for and then uh, somebody's going to go and, and try some treatments that really uh, aren't going to you know solve the entire problem so it's still something seriously to consider and as something that really does require focus but for the purposes of today's session what i'd like you to take away though is the actual power of this effect and for all the things that i'm going to be saying in the session today. I'm going to have some more extensive uh, show notes. It's available at lifehabits.podbean.com. And I'll provide a bunch of links to audio and video material in, in general, as well as a bunch of other links to stuff you can read um, more about on these topics. But I'll just give you the examples here. So the, the thing that I'd like you to take away from the so-called placebo effect is that simply believing that we're going to be changed in some way has a amazingly powerful effect on that very thing that we want to improve and that it is has been shown and proven quite dramatically in many many studies of, of drug effects for example that um, placebo effect is a very strong and persistent one and the power that it has is purely the power of the mind the other thing that i would point you to is there's a a lot of work on reconstructed memories. Elizabeth Loftus has done a lot of research in this area with things initially like eyewitness testimony and that everybody believes that they recall correctly whatever happened to them before. And most people believe that what they recall is a veridical replaying of the movie in their head of what actually happened in the past. And Loftus and others' research demonstrates quite powerfully that that isn't the case, that we often remember things differently from the ways in which they actually occurred and that we can pick up little clues here or there in the ways in which somebody else may have told the story, a particular bent that's given to it or the way that we've actually chosen to recall the the story that uh, changes our memories in fundamental ways. And so a lot of the things that we think that we're remembering veridically or realistically we just really aren't. And so that's another demonstration, again, where the mind is actually making quite some dramatic changes to something that we think is actually quite unchanging, and that is the, the nature of our memory. A lot of us think that are, are convinced that we don't recall necessarily things well, but what we really mean by that is that we think that we can either remember something or we don't and that lots of people worry about their memory that they can't actually remember things that happened in the past but they do believe that when they do remember them that they've re actually remembered them accurately and a lot of research shows that that isn't the case another one that i would suggest is uh, richard dawkins work on religious belief and that a lot of the ideas that we have and that we glean from our early upbringing in terms of religion and other things like that, strong beliefs, are pretty deeply held, and it's extremely difficult for people to change those beliefs, even if they were to be shown you know, evidence or argument in uh, different directions. Again, not to go into that here, but just as an illustration that there's a really, really powerful effect going on here, and it is essentially the power of the mind. Now, the last example I'll give you is uh, one that um, Malcolm Gladwell talks about in his book Blink, uh, and I'd highly recommend that book to you to read because it a lot, has a lot of examples uh, of these kinds of situations as well. But he talks about this one instance that I also include a, a link to a audio replay of a an address that he gave the conference South by Southwest on the book. And he talks about the uh, notion of bias and particularly confirmation bias. And the example that he gives 
and he does a very good job of, and I won't uh, dwell on it very much other than to point you to it, is essentially the uh, practice of hiring people and being aware of what the biases are that you have. And the example that he gives is a, a conductor of an orchestra who for years didn't believe that there was any any effect of bias in terms of any of the hiring that he did of members of his orchestra. And he also just uh, also firmly believed that women were not as effective as men. For some reason, he just uh, thought it was a, a fact that uh, women just couldn't play music as well as men, perhaps due to some physical reasons or whatever. And because his, his orchestra tended to, to be rather significantly male. And uh, there's a story that uh, Gladwell tells about an instance where they were doing some auditions where one of the people that were being auditioned for a position as a trombonist, I believe, in the orchestra that he led was related to somebody that was in the committee that was doing the seeking out and searching for the talent for that position. So as a result, they needed to have the performers play behind a curtain and that that would be a way of disguising which one of the applicants uh, was actually related to the person that was part of the organization. So they went through, I think there was probably like 13, 14 people that they needed to go through and this one particular candidate came forward and played and the uh, conductor at one point just stopped the entire audition and said, I found my trombonist. I've just heard him. Please bring him out because I'm I'm convinced I don't need to hear anybody else perform because I'm convinced that this is my guy. And so they had the uh, the person come out and the person that came out was in fact a woman and he was rather shocked and uh, was now shown the evidence of his bias and that in actual fact this this trombonist was in fact the best but the only way that she was able to be discerned as being the best was by using a curtain that effectively blanked out essentially all of the details of any other extraneous factors that would have led to uh, bias and uh, essentially just left the music itself, which is the actual real substance uh, that they were really trying to select for. And so it was the most fair way of doing it. After that point, Apparently all the orchestras started using this technique for all of their auditions and a strange thing happened that they actually hired predominantly women for a long, long time. And during that whole period, there was a a real gender shift in the people that were brought into orchestras simply because they were using that curtain as a way of preventing bias. So again, we talk about, you know, the placebo effect, we talk about the reconstructed memories, and we talk about the difficulty in changing religious beliefs, and we're talking about this notion of bias in and hiring. And each of these areas are areas that the mind is having a pretty powerful effect. And in a number of these cases, it's a, an effect that we're not aware of. And when we become aware of it, and most people that are confronted by a knowledge that, for example, that they were getting a placebo or that they their memory was altered in a, an experimental way, for example, or they were given evidence of the fact that they didn't recall correctly or accurately from uh, some other piece of evidence that was really clear from the past. 
uh, or their uh, uh, the changing religious beliefs or this this confirmation bias this bias in in hiring their immediate reaction is often very 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 strong and negative basically because we all believe that we are well thinking cognitive beings that don't generally get fooled by our minds and that we think that we're in control of our minds all the time and there are instances where we need to be aware of these kinds of fallacies and these kinds of biases in order to re-engage and have control over our minds again. In these cases, rather than denying them, which is really what I'm trying to argue for here, rather than trying to deny that these things don't happen, or denying that they do happen, rather, that we realize what some of these biases are and that we do something about it, that we control our minds now that we're aware of what some of these things are that are affecting the ways in which we think and the way that we perceive and the way that we decide. And I think that if we all want to be effective human beings, this again is a whole category that I believe strongly can make the difference between somebody that is truly authentic, somebody that's truly engaged in working with others, somebody that's truly effective in what they do day to day, are people that are aware of the effect of their minds in a positive and a negative way and, and that they're also aware of these negative ways in which their mind can work and then do appropriate things to counteract the negative sides and in fact reinforce the positive. So let me just go, go through a few other instances of these kinds of biases that are important to be aware of. So here, another one is the bandwagon effect. You know, when you have one particular set of decisions, when, and for example, an election, when it starts to uh, look like a particular candidate is, win is winning, there's a bandwagon effect. Everybody starts to believe the same thing, and they're not necessarily aware of the fact that they're doing that, but they're just wanting to go with the crowd. Another one is the base rate fallacy, the whole notion that we make decisions regularly that don't take into account the actual statistical probability that something will actually occur. So we're likely going to go on the basis of what actually is a perception to us as opposed to what would really make sense in the situation that we're confronted with. Another one is the uh, illusion of control bias, or the it's also called the gambler's fallacy. And this is this notion that assuming that there's going to be some probability, this is sort of the flip side of being aware of probabilities. We, here we think there's there's actually control over probabilities, that if you flip a coin and you get three heads in a row, you're convinced that the next one's got to be tails because there's a an expectation that uh, a particular instance of a, uh, of let's say, a, a coin toss, that it uh, somehow needs to be balancing out. They're bound to have a cash out, you know, an actual payout on, on, on a particular turn simply because it's due. Well, no. If there's a 50-50 probability, there's a 50-50 probability every single time, and there's no sense expecting that, that something is bound to happen this time around. That's really that gambler's fallacy. Another fallacy is the planning fallacy, is that we typically think that things are, that we're going to have to do will actually take a whole lot less time than, than they generally do. So when people estimate how long something takes, they always say that, that it won't take quite as long as in actual fact it does. And so, you know, we'll see, we've talked a little bit about some of the effect of some of these things. The other one is the halo effect, that once uh, somebody really impresses us, then uh, they can do no wrong. It takes a long time to 
realize, for example, that somebody that's really talented, that has done really, really good things in the past, if they really screwed up, that that halo effect is going to persist and that you're likely going to overlook uh, a particular event that happened. It was an instance where they really were screwing up, but you wouldn't actually uh, notice it or reg uh, because you've got the halo effect happening. And then there's a bunch of these effects or biases that all have to do with groups, in-groups and out-groups. There's this interesting effect called the in-group bias, which means that we tend to be more positive about our own group that we're in. And we generally, for example, if something were to, to happen, we're more like in a game, let's say, you're more likely going to be supportive of the group that you're part of and that they do no wrong and that the out group must have done it. It's the other group that, that's in the wrong. You get a uh, sports match, for example, if there's a, a referee makes a call, we're often really, really, really surprised that anything, our team may have done anything wrong. It's always got to be the other team. And, and there's this really strong effect in watching in-group, out-group biases when uh, when there's that kind of adjudication of matches uh, going on. It's also a notion of the out-group homogeneity bias that we also typically consider the outgroup people that aren't like us are kind of all the same. This happens a lot in, you know, racial biases as well. Another one is uh, groupthink, and that is, and this is one that's often around the work setting too, that uh, we start talking down a particular path and nobody comes up with any dissenting views or alternate views and often it's, it starts by sort of an executive or a leader expressing some view and then some, another person supporting it another person supporting it again and there's this notion of a whole direction that there aren't any contrary views expressed and nobody is disturbing the direction that, of the thinking in the group and that can tend to lead to some really bizarre outcomes and decisions and other people look at it later and say what well, how did they possibly come up with that kind of outcome. It's because that whole group, just by working with themselves and not having other any other kind of perspective outside the group coming in, tend to get focused and think myopically. Another one that's an interesting one is the cognitive dissonance that we tend to find that after we've made a decision, we as human beings try to justify the decision that we just made. So if we had two products and we wanted to decide between the two of them which one we would like to purchase, even if it's 50-50 before you make the purchase, after you make the purchase, and this goes the same for if you're hiring people, for example, after you've made the decision, we tend to reduce the dissonance by trying to reinforce that we made the right decision and then overinflate typically the uh, attributes of the choice that we made. So let's say the product that we purchased, well, this one is really, really good, and you f try to look for other evidence to support that this one is really better than the other one, etc. And so we work really uh, hard at trying to justify the decisions that we've made. And that also can lead us to being not as effective as well. When you think of these various biases, and again, I provide a link to these and even more, that you don't even have to read a lot about these. You can just describe it or read one little short sentence about it and you recognize it immediately that there are those kinds of things that you've experienced. And I think, that, you know, the purpose in, in bringing it up in this session is, is to really draw your attention to the sort of long list of these and that there are certain situations that you're going to find yourself in that you've got to just simply step back and say to yourself, especially if it's a really important one, if it's like a career one, something at work, something's just happened, you're really trying to make sense of it, you're about to react, and as we said in the last session, we as humans have a gap between stimulus and response where we can think. So something happens at work, it's really quite a stressful situation. Rather than reacting immediately, step back 
and think and then respond and even there are times when we can even take even longer than just a moment that you can actually go and think about a particular decision let's say and what I'm suggesting that we do here when we do that gap in thinking is to think seriously about the possibility that you yourself may be perceiving the situation incorrectly that you may well be exhibiting one of these biases experiencing these fallacies or having you know one of these effects that affect the ways in which we perceive the situation in the way that we think about it and so if you think of yourself in the work setting for example in terms of hiring I think that's a really powerful powerful story that Malcolm Gladwell talks about in terms of the the curtain effect in in hiring the equivalent of that wherever you can do that kind of a thing I'm not saying that in, in that in particular but really trying to make a level playing field for hiring I think is really really valuable if you really want to get the best talent best thing to do is really try to prevent you from being biased and I've hired many many people over the years and you know you really got to work hard at not letting even subtle biases affect you know your decisions and so I, I think you know while while you can go crazy about doing these things in particular ways I think half or more more than half the battle is just realizing and really sitting back and thinking about what biases you may have if you know what the bias is you can do something about it and I'm, I'm not sure you need to necessarily even go to all kinds of lengths to put up curtains and all the rest of it. I think if you're aware of the fact that you are not completely fair all the time and that you are influenced by certain kinds of things, you can then make better decisions. You can be aware of what those, those situations are. The same thing, you know, if you're thinking of... Um, you know, working at, at work in terms of, you know, projects, be aware of things like the, the planning, you know, fallacy of how much time it's going to take. Working with groups, and this is the case for a uh, work setting as well as a, uh, as a parent or working with uh, sports teams and the like, you really have a lot of biases that are around working in groups. The whole notion of in-group, out-group, some of the time you can actually work that, use that to your benefit if you really want to strengthen a team uh, in terms of uh, team morale, can create a really good enemy <laughs> to the team by, uh, by really making a competitive situation because it tends to gel the team. But you got to realize you're also doing some, some challenging things and changing the nature of the relationships, and so you have to be aware of what you're doing. But it's particularly the case that you need to be cognizant of what actually is going on in those situations in terms of the ways in which people think. So people think that there's a bunch of studies that were done in social psychology that reinforced in really strong ways these effects of in-group versus out-group. And there's huge, huge, huge implications of all of this as well. And so r rather than going into all of that, I'll just point to the fact that if you'd like to learn more about these kinds of things, I've got some more uh, links in the show notes to this as well. But my takeaway message for all of these, like especially the ones having to do with groups, be aware of what's going on. Even if you choose to still watch your sports games in the way that you do now and argue that the ref is always on the other team's side, you know, you might still choose to act that way. But when it really comes down to it and you have a situation, for example, as a parent, you know, where you're going to go, you know, off the handle and trying to argue with a, with a ref, step back, realize you're probably biased. You know, you're probably not sitting seeing the situation clearly. You're probably experiencing one of these situations where your mind is perceived the situation sort of incorrectly. And if you really do realize that and you really really want to be a good parent then you might actually make want to make that a learning situation and actually illustrate it and uh, there's some good ways you can do do that as well by just going out to the to any uh, game 
and choosing you know either side randomly and then start to uh, you know, cheer for that team and if you really really start to get into it you're going to start to see your perception of what actually is going on in terms of fairness as being very different it's a very very powerful you know effect particularly with regard to groups of people the other one in relationships and especially as parents too is the whole effect of prejudice you know pre judging somebody and you're affected very heavily by all the things that I've just been talking about with regard to prejudice and there again to become aware of what some of these biases are and then you have the power of the mind you can have control over your mind to now resist some of those biases catch yourself and then make other decisions and also really importantly teach your kids this stuff. I mean, they're experiencing some of this stuff for the first time. They think that the world is exactly the way that they're experiencing it. Whereas many of the things that I've just been talking about in this show are all about ways in which they aren't actually perceiving the world as it is. And I think it's the role of the parent to also teach your kids the ways in which they see things aren't necessarily the veridical way that they actually happen in the world and that they too can be that much more effective if they were to stand back, take a pause, and realize the ways in which they are actually perceiving things differently, and then turn that around as well. There are many situations with regard to kids and the the relationships they have with others, you know, so-and-so wronged them in some way, and then you you can step back and, you know, honestly look at the situation and say, well, you know, I think you're only, at this moment, seeing all of the negative sides of this friend of yours, and that realistically, when you think about it, and here's all the other positive things that you've been experiencing, and I think that you, too, necessarily haven't necessarily been that fair. I mean, it's really going through that kind of analysis that I think is a very effective one as well. So as we always do when we go through a bunch of material like this, and there's a fair bit that I've gone through in this particular session, I'd like to suggest that you go to lifehabits.podbean.com for the show notes. You can also provide more feedback uh, there or send an email to lifehabits at uh, gmail.com. And then my suggestion really is for the next you know, week. Don't try to cover all of the stuff we've been talking about here. Take one or two things that we've been talking about. Pay attention to it for this week. Think about the ways in which you may be misperceiving, the ways in which you may be biased in some of the things that you're dealing with in your life in the next week. Step back, do the gap between the stimulus and response, and think of an alternate way of reacting in the situation, realizing that you may have not perceive the situation absolutely correctly. I think if we do that over time, and in many, many situations, we will regain and have strong control over our minds because we're aware of the ways in which, if we don't have that focus, our minds will be controlling us. So with that, I hope that is a set of things that you can think about, habits that you can develop, that you can uh, be even more effective in life. And So give it a try this week. And we'll talk to you all again next week. Bye for now.